God is still God, no matter what. The no matter what part is pretty important. Because if God's just God when it goes well, so what? And if God's just God when it's terrible, well, who wants to follow that? But you see, God's still God no matter what. He's still God in the lion's den and rescued from the lion's den. He's still God when you thought all hope was lost and that one you've been praying for is still away. He's still God even when the heat gets turned up. And even if the heat doesn't get turned down, he's still God. He's also still God when you feel all alone, when you feel condemned and shunned by everyone else. We see that in the scripture we're looking at this morning in Gospel of John chapter 8. I want you to get this scene now. Jesus has done teaching and praying and preparation and he now comes into the temple and begins to teach. And in the middle of that, some who were trying to trip him up dragged a woman into their midst. And don't miss this. They said she has been caught in the act of adultery. Meaning they burst in where she was with that man. They didn't bring him along. That's a whole nother story to talk about. But they brought her to him. And remember, he was in the temple at minimum in the courtyard when this happened. There were witnesses. And they shoved her up to him and said, what should we do with her? But they didn't just leave it up to his own discretion, for they quoted the law of Moses and said, Moses told us she should be stoned and they conveniently left out and so should the man. So they were already not obeying the law they were challenging him with. Not only that, it was against the Roman law for them to take a life. It would have been like lynchings in this country many years ago. And they said, what do you say we should do? They were hoping to trap him. What a ridiculous scenario. And then Jesus, as he often did, surprised them. Now, first of all, you just think through the fact Jesus was one with God, God's son, and these guys thought they could trick him. Duh. I don't think so. But his response wasn't what I would have thought of. It's not the script I would have written, but his response was to not answer at first. We don't do well with silence, do we? Do we? <laughs> Instead, he knelt down. 
I don't know if he sat down. I don't know if he got down on his knee. I don't know if his knees and hips hadn't been replaced and he just squatted down. I don't know. And then he began to write or draw in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. There's a lot of speculation. One of the most agreed upon speculations is that he began to write sins down that he knew they had all committed. Some speculated that he wrote down, where's the man? We don't know. But we do know there was a silence. Now, it's one thing for those who were accusing and trying to trick him into that and having that silence. But imagine this woman caught in the act. I don't know if she was even fully clothed at this point as they ripped her away. Standing in the midst and the center of the courtyard of the temple with witnesses. Likely many of them were holding stones. And Jesus wrote. And they began and continued to press upon him. The scripture tells us. And then Jesus finally answered them and he straightened up. He stood up. And said, whichever one of you is without any sin, you throw the first stone. Imagine if he had been writing different sins and being God, he knew what they had done. (laughs) And they had just read those and he's saying, if you've been without sin, go ahead and throw. And they're like, nuts, he already knows. And then Jesus, not making it comfortable, knelt down again and continued to write or draw or doodle. I don't know. Until one by one, the accusers walked away. The image I have of that is that they were holding stones. Because after all, Moses said, stone her, they said. So they wanted to be prepared. I just imagine one stone after another dropping and then they turned and left. It's interesting also that John recorded that they left beginning with the oldest one. (laughs) One commentator I was reading, he said, I like to think that's because he was the smartest one. (laughs) Or maybe he had sinned the most. Can you imagine that sound of those stones and the sound of the footsteps walking away? My guess is she wasn't looking. She was just staring at the ground at this point. And then when they had all gone, I don't know if the crowd had dispersed or not. Jesus stood up looking around and he said, does no one condemn you? For the first time, we hear from her. And she says, no one. And then to the shock of everyone, he says, then neither do I. What a moment that is. But you see, Jesus continued to instruct. He didn't just say, 
I don't condemn you. He said, go now. And there are several different, slightly different variations of this translation. But he said, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and don't do this again. Speaking of the transformation that is to happen when we accept Christ's forgiveness. See, God was still God in that moment. If you would have asked her after that happened, what do you suppose her thought of Jesus was? Take a look with me. The scripture in the New Testament, John chapter 1, and in some of your Bibles you might notice that it says not all manuscripts have this recorded. And I did a little research on that as well. Just curious about that. And what I discovered is they said that not every early manuscript had this included, but that it had been carried on in such a tradition and it matched other witnesses and it matched the Spirit of God. So it's included. Beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 8, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, they went each to his own house, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery or in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up. And said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Leave the life of sin. Be transformed as a follower. God is still God, even when everyone else shuns you. God is still God, even when others try to trap you and trick you. God is still God, even when embarrassed in front of others. So the same questions we've asked each of the six weeks in this series the first is, how did we get here? 
And the first one should be obvious, but I'm afraid we skip it too often, and that is sin, is how they got there. Let's not mistake the fact that the woman sinned. So did the man she was with. So did those who brought her in because of why they brought her in and what they were trying to accomplish. Sin is sin, no matter what we call it. And when we go against Christ and his word, we sin. In fact, the literal translation that we often uh, translate sin means to miss the mark. We don't do, live, say, think what we should according to God's word. We miss the mark. And it's called sin. We've avoided that word for too long in our culture. Now, I don't think we ought to go around throwing that word around at other people either, but let's make sure we realize that sin is sin no matter what name you put on it. The first way we get there is sin. Another way we get there is we choose judgment over grace. That was true of those who brought the woman in. They were not thinking grace. That wasn't even in their vocabulary. All they were thinking is judgment. She messed up. I saw it. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to judge others and not yourself? That's why elsewhere in Scripture it says, why are you talking about the splinter in somebody else's eye when you've got a log sticking out of yours? When I was a youth pastor, I had a lesson I taught on this one time, and I had come across this picture that was ridiculous. It showed somebody standing there pointing their finger with literally a log coming out of their eye. It was teens. They thought it was cool. I still, that picture talks about how ridiculous it is when we choose judgment over grace judgment is not up to us oh we need to acknowledge truth and sin is sin but we're to choose grace as we even see sin we're to choose grace we are to show and teach and practice grace while acknowledging sin choosing judgment over grace is watching and waiting for others to mess up and then piously pointing it out. When we choose judgment over grace, we are portraying God as the traffic cop who's sitting behind the billboard with the radar gun. Gotcha. That's not who God is. Sin will be judged, but that's not his desire. How did we get here? Sin, choosing judgment over grace, we also got here speaking from the woman's point of view by shame. How much shame did she feel in that moment? And I can guarantee you, it wasn't the last time she thought of it was shame. Because Satan loves shame. God loves grace. Satan loves shame. God loves salvation. Satan loves accusation. And you combine accusation with shame and it is devastating. Isn't it? 
We know. See, shame accuses without any chance of change. God points out the sin and provides for our salvation through forgiveness and grace. It's easy to tell the difference. It's difficult when we're stuck in it. Shame, not guilt, but shame can paralyze us, cause us to withdraw from others, both from the church and from Christ. Shame fools us into thinking that everybody else is condemning us and shunning us when that's rarely the case. Plus, the truth of this series is God is still God, which means He seeks for our salvation. He offers forgiveness and grace. So what do we do now that we find ourselves sometimes in these situations where someone we know is in that spot? Number one, repent. When you sin, repent. Now repentance is more than just, sorry, repentance is more than just, I did it. Repentance is a complete picture of confession and transformation. Turning away from. Not acknowledging it and then continuing in it. That's why Jesus in verse 11 said, Go and from now on sin no more. Notice go was a distinct command by itself. You can tell that because grammatically how it is written in verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. And there's punctuation. Then go and there's more punctuation. So as you go, leave the life of sin. As you go, don't repeat this. Repent. And then be transformed and live differently. I really shouldn't add and live differently. Because to be transformed means I have changed. Which means I now live differently. I think too often we accept the idea of forgiveness. Without change. Transformation means I accept his forgiveness. And now desire to change. Even if I don't know how. He'll help you with that. That's also called discipleship and mentoring. That's why we come alongside one another or should to help. Not to judge, but to guide. To be transformed. Christ didn't die for us and for our sins so that we would just add him to the mix of our life. He did it for our transformation which by definition means we live differently. What do we do? If you're in that circle of, act, of accusers, drop the stones. What do we do? Drop the stones. And don't pick them up again. Don't go looking for them. I was thinking about this. I, my mind goes in weird places sometimes. Or a lot of the time. But... I just imagine, how big were the stones? 
Anybody else thought of that? I mean, were they palm-sized? Were they little ones? Were they the kind you could barely heave? And that's where, in my mind, when Jesus said, if, you've, if you're free from sin, you can throw the first stone. And that's why I imagine that sound of just stone after stone hitting the ground. Not loud echoes, just thud, 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 thud. And I have this picture, I'd love to see somebody who's artistic, drawn or painted of the woman and Jesus by themselves with the stones on the ground. The reminder to her, no one's condemning her, and the reminder to us, drop the stones. Quit carrying them around. You don't need a backpack to carry any stones because you don't need any stones. It's not up to us. It's God's. So we repent. We transform. We drop the stones. So what do we learn from this? What lessons can we gather from this? Number one, we do need to acknowledge sin has consequences, but grace is greater. Don't miss the last part, but don't ignore the first part. Sin has consequences. Every one of us is living with some scars of past sins in our life. But if you're here this morning, and especially if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and are following Him, you also bear the evidence that grace is greater than sin's consequences. Heaven testifies to that. My life testifies to it. Because I got a lot of scars, but grace is greater. Don't miss the fact that sin has consequences. Don't talk it away. Don't sing it away. Don't ignore it. Sin has consequences. That's why we should be broken over those who don't know Christ as their personal Savior because the ultimate consequence is hell for eternity apart from Christ. But grace is greater. See, that's our message. That's what we should be inviting people to. I, yeah, Sin is difficult, it, it's lousy, it hurts, it kills, but grace is greater. Because you see, God is still God. We also learn <laughs> that we're to bring others to Jesus. You know, in, in, interesting to me that the men who brought the woman in for Jesus to condemn her, they did the first step in evangelism. <laughs> I love this picture. They brought her so she could be condemned, but what they did is they brought her to Jesus, which is what we're all commanded to do. Bring them to Jesus. Bring Jesus to them. These guys brought her to be condemned, and Jesus instead showed her grace. Now, don't be like them. Don't bring people to Jesus while you got a stone in one hand. Don't be like them. Don't bring people to Jesus so that he can condemn them. 
and they can feel shame and guilt. No, bring them to Jesus because you know from experience grace is greater and his love ran red for us. But bring them to Jesus. Bring Jesus to them. How can we go through a week and not invite anyone to either church or to know Jesus? There shouldn't be one week that ever passes that we don't do that. What have we learned? We've learned that we're to use grace to live transformed. Live differently. Jesus' command from now on, sin no more. From now on, leave your life of sin. Go from here because you're to live life as I've called and created you to. Don't sin. So what do we do next? The first one's a real surprise. It's the same first one every week, pray. And as I said last week, actually pray. Don't just put it on a list, but pray it. Don't just say you're going to pray it, pray it. Don't just say I'm thinking about you. Pray for them. One of the things that convicts me is talking with people and stuff they've shared with me and then to go, okay, did I pray? I said I was going to, did I pray? It's one reason I make lists. I've got a huge folder on my phone entitled, in a hidden way, prayer list. So there's no doubt what's on that folder. It's constantly changing as I hear of needs and as I also hear the praises that I can put on there. Pray for the needs. Pray for those who need to receive grace. Pray for those who have received grace. Pray that you will show grace to others. Secondly, follow Christ in your living. Not just in your singing, not just in your bumper stickers, not just in how you decorate for Christmas. Follow him in how you live. It's more important than those other three. Follow him in how you live. Third, stop throwing stones. You know, one thing that hit me this week, the easiest way to not throw a stone is don't pick it up in the first place. If I don't have a stone in my hand, I can't throw one. Too many of us are carrying one around just in case. Hey, come on, you've been watching the political ads. They did, I got to. No, you don't. On anything. Stop throwing stones. That's not our job. Never has been. It was never clearer than in this passage of Scripture. And last, lovingly, bring others to Jesus. Those guys brought her to Jesus, but they didn't do it lovingly. I think sometimes we don't do it lovingly. We say you need Jesus, but we do it while we're punching them. You need Jesus. Confrontive evangelism. No. Confront them with the love of Christ. Not the condemnation of sin. That's not our job. We get in trouble when we try to do God's job. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but you're not God. 
I don't know if anybody's told you this lately or not, but you stink at trying to be God. Follow him and do what he said. Just don't put yourself in his place. God is still God. No matter which person you are in that story, the condemner, the condemned, or the one offering grace. God is still God no matter what. And if we would remember that as we face our circumstances, if we would remember that as we encounter others, if we would remember that as we pray for one another, if we would remember that as we serve one another, our world would change. See, we've been called to be world changers because we serve a Savior who has already changed the world. History is divided by the one we follow. And we've been called to follow him, which means we ought to be making noise for Jesus, an impact and an influence by our lives, by the words we say, by the way we live. So if God's still God, then as you leave here today, you should be taking him with you and showing him to every person you encounter, including those who irritate you, including those who've done you wrong, including those you don't know because we're supposed to get to know them. It's pretty easy. You just say, hi, my name is. God is still God. Father, thank you for the example after example after example in Scripture of how you are still God no matter our circumstance or situation. Not just when it turns out the way we hoped it would or thought it should, but you're still God even in the fire. And Lord, I want to live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, my God is able to rescue me from this, but even if he doesn't, I'm serving him. Lord, help me, help us to show that to the world around us. Help us to encourage each other to live that way. Lord, thank you for being a God we can follow a God who's called us to follow him and who has provided so that we can. Lord, I pray and plead for these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.